You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mount West War football podcast, bowl preview season, MWR.com where you can find us. So I'm going to bait Matt. I'm going to just, we discussed this four seconds ago. I'm going to say it now. So if you listen to the whole podcast, you're awesome. You're always awesome. We're going to have one long podcast of the three bowl games we're going to preview today, plus some news. There will also be a portion where you'll hear an introduction like this two other times because we're going to make each individual bowl game its own podcast too, just because of people Matt, they may only want to listen to care about potato bowl or the Kimmel bowl or something. So you're prepared. You've been which, it, which if, you, if you're a listener of this podcast, why be selective at this point? There's only seven games left. You have to treasure each one. Listen to it all. I'm going to say, but maybe, but maybe there's a Washington state, but it, I know the buddies at kookcenter.com. Maybe they want to listen to our take on the, that's the fair. Game versus that's a fair Christmas. point. It's, it is, know- it is somebody's, it is for somebody's first podcast all the time. Yes, I know Jeff Nusser quite well, Craig Powers. I know those guys reasonably well from old days doing stuff with them. So they may want to hear our takes on it. I don't know. I'm just saying. So first off, we're getting to the news. Um, Boise State, the only news we're going to talk about, Boise State hires their offensive coordinator. Quick hire, as, as correct, Matt. It was not a drawn-out process, probably because Dirk Cutter, I don't know when he exactly said it, Matt, but early in the process of him being the OC from an analyst role, he's like, this is just like a – one and done situation for me. So he has gone and yeah. he did amazing things for the season. So filling in his steps, shoes will be very difficult. But they found someone, right? They apparently they did. Bush Hamden. For, I'm like, who's who the heck is Bush Hamden? Did you know when you heard the name, did you know who he was? I had a, I, I was like, I, I was like, I know that name. But I needed to do some digging, and then and then the first thing I rec- I eventually recalled is that he was Washington's offensive coordinator for a, a couple of years in the sort of the late part of of Chris Peterson's tenure at Washington. But was he was he for there for the playoff year? Uh, he was. Uh, he actually had two different stints with the Huskies, and you know the first time around 2015-2016, the latter of which was that college football playoff year you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first year, he I believe he was a quality control coach. 
the, the following year, he was the wide receivers coach and the passing game coordinator. So that year with the, you know, Jake Browning and all of them, that was, you know, a year in which Hamden was sort of front and center as far as the, uh, what, what really made that particular team go. And then after a year with the Atlanta Falcons, the quarterbacks coach working with Matt Ryan came back to Seattle for a couple more years in 2018, 2019. And, and, and the second time around, he was the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Peterson retired. Yeah. Well, and then he was fired. No, Chris Peterson. Was, oh, he was fired. Not Chris Peterson. Yeah. But and and another... I and, and the first I think the the main reason I, I remembered that first and foremost is because I remember sort of I had this vague recollection that a lot of Huskies fans in in those later Chris Peterson years weren't necessarily happy with how the Huskies offense looked all the time. I remember, and I think they a lot the... of that had to do with they were they had a really hard time replacing Browning in that in that 2016 team. Well, you make the playoffs. Come on, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it was sort of diminishing. I, I, like I say, diminishing returns. That may not be the most accurate way of describing it, but like, for instance, in those in that 2016 year, in terms of like points per drive, which I feel is like a, a real nice catch-all, they were sixth overall in the country, three point two points per drive. In the two Pretty years good. that he was the offensive coordinator, and and again put this in context it probably sounds pretty good to most Boise State fans I would say <laughs> uh, they were they were only 36th and 29th yeah so not bad so like they they had a two-year peak in in 2016 2017 the year after the playoffs uh, appearance where when Hamden was in charge of the offense if you look at it and you go to, you can go see the, the the team profiles on bcftoys.com you can see all this for yourself but there is like a, a noticeable but modest decline from that peak in the two years he was under center. And that's reflected in available yards percentage per drive as well. It's reflected in the yards per play allowed, as, or excuse me, the yards per play gained rather, um, you know, where they were a top 20 offense in those two years, uh, 2016, 2017. And then they were a lot closer to average in the following they two st- years when he was the offensive they still won 18 games and went to Rose Bowl. That is true. And 20, so and it's also you lose an elite quarterback in Jake Browning. You also 2019, because Chris Peterson's interesting, dude. I the radio show worked on, we chatted him for Pac-12 Media Days. He there's the reasons he was never gonna go to UCLA when he's rumored at Boy State, never gonna go to USC, never gonna mm-hmm. go to Tennessee and all those jobs come. He is not a huge fan. Of he does like the recruiting, it'd be a special person to be re- recruiting for college, college blood coach and recruiting mm-hmm. kids between 15 to 17, eight, whatever age you are to start recruiting up until about 18. That's a very difficult yeah. job, and he was not, he was good at it, but it was not a favorite part of the job. He likes to, which I'm, I'm somewhat surprised he never, after watching, like, like I don't think he's ever go back to coaching, but I could see him being like some sort of coordinated NFL if he really wanted to be, where all you do is coach, and that's all you do. And so he kind mm-hmm. of mentioned like it's not his favorite part to go out and recruit and do all those type of things just because the it wasn't because you like doing it, but it's more like the mentality of you're dealing with kids and it's hard and it's not it's just a difficult and you got to be good at it. You got to be charisma. You got to be this. Yeah, and that. And he's we've seen how he's more mild mannered guy. He quips here and there, but he's not like Lane Kiffin or somebody who's out there with um, oozing charisma. Maybe he is when we're not watching, but. It's just not in his personality. 
So maybe that last year took a dip because he knew he's on his way out. But look at Kellen, Kellen DeBoer did, like not to stick to Washington, but Jimmy Lake screwed up by hitting that kid, but he also wasn't a great coach. And then Kellen DeBoer comes in. Yes, he gets Michael Penix Jr., does fine. So the Washington thing is like, well, they took t- take us up down, but why during the time, like we went to three straight New Year's Six Bowl games, and he was part of two of those. And now he went to Missouri with Eli Drinkwich for a minute. Um, it is surprising he took the job. You kind of bounce Trump, but you see how big of a pay cut he's taking to go to Boise State from the SEC. Like, why? Why would a guy? This is this also makes it very unique and interesting. Where it could be a sneaky good hire. Where I get SEC, but it's also again we talked to Barry Odom and UNLV. It's Missouri SEC and or Arkansas SEC for what he did before. So you're still in the SEC, obviously. Missouri's whatever. They're okay. They're not. They're probably going to be near the bottom most more often than not. With occasional title appearance they had a couple years ago when they had uh was it chase daniel or was it after him drew lock whatever going to the sec title game the one time they got their butt kicked by florida i believe it was but he leaves the sec to take a over a hundred thousand dollar pay cut so it's like but but then again it's much much more than almost double than what tim plow was getting if plow was making 280 and he'll make about 400 to 425k, whereas he is making half, oh, just over half a million in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Why? What motivation would you have to, have to do that? Does he think Drinkwitz is going to be gone? Is he out of a job soon? Going to a place where there might be less pressure, or he could build? I, it's a weird. It's a weird move. It's a downgrade. He's a coordinator a again. I think that's the answer. You know, at Missouri, he was a position coach. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, that's yeah. Okay. And so he's he's taking on a a more prominent role. In, in in what they want to do. And and I believe Andy Avalos came out and said, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, Hamden ended up getting the job is because they thought he would be the best fit to help develop Taylor Green in particular. Maybe because he played with Jared Zabransky and Kellen Moore or Jared Zabransky and under mm-hmm. like the Peterson stuff he mentioned. So he didn't play yeah. much. And you don't the- be, you don't be a great player to be, you don't have to be a great player to be a great coach. And I think the other thing is, you know, despite the fact that if you if you just were to look at his, you know, coaching resume, that you would say, okay, well, he's bounced around a lot since being a you know a student assistant at Colorado all the way back in two thousand and nine. Like he basically hadn't spent more than three years, you know, the three years he spent at Missouri in any one location. But he also, I mean, in addition to being a former Boise State player, he has learned and worked under other Harson. Boise State coaches at in 2013 for instance he was the co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Arkansas State do you remember who the head coach at Arkansas State was in 2013 Brian Harson won the conference titles Brian Harson and of course as you mentioned he also worked you know multiple times with Chris Peterson as well so hey Fal- was he with Dirk Cutter with the when was Dirk Cutter in the Falcons because he spent the one year in Atlanta when was was Dirk Cutter there or is that my timing way up on that uh, you know what? I know that Hamden was there in 2017. I don't have Cutter's I timeline check. in front of me. I can check me. real quick. But it's one year with Matt Ryan. I mean, no, that, there was an overlap of, uh, of, you know, he was, Cutter, Cutter was the offensive coordinator before and after Hamden's time in Atlanta. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's yeah, he, was the head, he was the head coach in Tampa, Tampa at that point. Uh, okay. That's what it was. Okay. So but I, just... I do think, you know, in terms of like the, the recent results that he was able to put up, like, you know, Missouri this year, like they were a bowl team, they were a little bit up and down. But one thing that I noticed, and this was based off of a report from, uh, I believe it was Matt Zemitz from on three sports that 
Hamden also took over play calling duties for the Tigers late in the year. And if you look, so like, if you look at the season totals, like you're not necessarily going to be blown away by what Missouri did. I think they were like below average um, in the SEC, which, you know, given how many good offenses there are in the SEC, that may not be saying much, but, you know, on the season, you know, 63% completion rate, 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions, seven, seven 7.4 yards per attempt. So like, pretty pedestrian yeah you might say but passing if if i recall the timeline correctly you know he more or less took over play calling duties with the tennessee game in in mid-november so if you narrow the focus to those last three games particular you know they still had a completion rate of about 60 percent but seven touchdowns zero interceptions in those last three games okay hold on one of those games, not to play wet blanket, but one of those games was New Mexico State. No, that's fair. I'm just and, saying, and another was, a, was a beat up it. Arkansas defense. But, you know, they gave it a little bit of a challenge to Tennessee before the volunteers ended up running away with that one. And, the, you know, they averaged eight yards per attempt in in those last three games as well. So mm-hmm. I I would say that there was like a, a positive difference in that change from Drinkwitz, who you know we didn't even mention he's a former Boise State guy as well um I think the familiarity with the program the familiarity with what Boise what has typically made Boise State successful and you know the confidence that he can be the guy to sort of maintain what Cutter started this year all in all like I think it's I think it's a good hire like if you didn't know the name offhand you know, I think it's it's maybe not on like the Odom hire that we talked about the other day, where it may not be the sexiest name on the market. Um, you know, I saw someone point out uh, earlier, maybe make a joke. I couldn't tell whether they were being serious or not, <laughs> making a joke that Brian Harson was coming home. But it was like, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> He's probably just holding out for another head coaching opportunity at some point. But make Hamden, I think yeah. Hamden has the profile. I think he has the smarts to know what Boise wants to do with its offense going forward. And so I think with that in mind, it's a, it's a good hire and he's going to have time to sort of you know, acclimate to the job. Like I don't, he's not going to be going to the first goal wall and taking an active role right away. He's going to, but he's going to get that sort of firsthand look at what Boise state is doing before the baton is handed off to him to be able to, you know, keep things running. I think it works well before we move on to the first bowl game, but look who he's been with. He is with, what type of plays and what was Chris Peterson known for early Boise State years? What did Brian Harson do a little bit during the first part of his years? Like a mm-hmm. unique type of went dirt cutter as well. It's that offense where people are like, oh, it's all trick plays. This well, no, it's the motion stuff. I remember when Chris Peterson left, like they were just stagnant, and then Brian Harson figured it out partway through the first year when they, I think they made the festival and they played Arizona, I think it was mm-hmm. Kevin Sumlin's team, but he would, they would be, the motion was gone. I'm like, you got to move. That was what they're known for. Not necessarily just jet sweeps and halfback pass or whatever, or flea flickers, which they do occasionally. It's not even that much more than other teams, just a little bit more, but they'd always do the motion stuff and they stopped doing it where, cause you go in motion. It's like, I got to work with a guy who's in the NFL for 12 years. You guys go in motion defense. Can't stay still. The eyes move. Something moves and gives something away. And mm-hmm. that gives you, if you're a good enough quarterback or a center, or if you're a good enough receiver, whatever you're running out, you see the guy move their hips. They shift their weight one way. Their eyes may look somewhere else. or They may take a step back because they have to. That type of stuff does a lot more than people think. Why is that guy going right to left? Well, 
let's see if that defensive end takes a step over. If linebacker goes from uh, stepping back to stepping up or the DB makes him adjust his position. That type of stuff, Chris Peterson's a lot of, like voice, dirt cutter, all those stuff we've seen this past year when the offense drastically improved. So there could be all those type of things we'll see. And it's it's a, it's a pretty good move. Honestly, it's a good move. It's still a guy who's, you mentioned, went around from a million different places. And is in success level, obviously, varying success. Like, usually above average, there wasn't really a down year unless you want to consider – Washington going to the Vegas Bulls a down year before Chris Peterson stepped down. Mm-hmm. Or even maybe the first year or two when he was trying to build up Washington as part of the analyst and QB coach. So it's a we'll see. I judge a coordinator hire now. It's like, well, he has big shoes at Philly because Dirk Cutter turned it around so quickly. So yeah, well, I mean, and I think if you look at what he did with Missouri's quarterback down the stretch, you know, I threw out those numbers uh, a little bit earlier. But I think it is important to know too that like you know their their guy Brady Cook could run a little bit too, you know, and and he did a lot more of that down the stretch as well. You know, he had hundred yard games against both Tennessee and Arkansas, and in between that, he also averaged over ten yards per carry against New Mexico State as well. And so that sort of re, you know retooling the offense to sort of figure out what works with a young quarterback. You know, I'm sure that they looked at the film and had a conversation about that to figure out, okay, you know, we saw what you did with with this guy, Brady Cook. We have confidence that you could do the same thing with our guy, Taylor Green, as well. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now that makes sense. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, we're ready for bowl games? Let's do it. Bowl season time. I don't have a bowl gift up here, but do you know what the bowl gifts are? Because I haven't looked at all. Because it's usually kind of seems to be less and less. Like, here's a gift card to go shopping, right? I haven't actually seen, like, any power rankings or anything like that. We're a sports business journal when we need them twice a year. TV media right deals, media rights deals, the bowl gifts. I know, it's disappointing, right? Honestly, you know what should be done? See, it should just be NIL. So you're going to the Kimmel, Kimmel Bowl in LA. Here is everybody gets a thousand bucks because you're representing this. You wear the stifle. Is stifle what is stifle? Is that a clothing clothing operation? Are you familiar I have with stifle? No idea. 
Because it's a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl presented by Stifle, which looks like a, to be Okay, a so it is a diversified global wealth management and investment banking company focused on building relationships that help individuals, families, and dot, dot, dot. Blah. Give them some finance. stock. That's all I get. Sure, give them a finance job. It is the seventh largest full-service investment firm. Give them free um, free investment advice for six years. I don't know. Is that there a good go. deal? To get them started when they inevitably find their pro career that's not in football. Unless you're Jay Kaner and some other guys. But Saturday, December 17th, 1230 Pacific on ABC, over-the-air TV, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle, I will say. Fresno State against Washington State. Bulldogs are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, Matt. 52 over-under. Inglewood, California, SoFi Stadium. Does Washington have wide receivers to play? Do we start there? Are they? I think they have some opt-outs, I believe, if I'm correct. They they Quite do have some opt-outs. Um, a lot of opt-outs, a lot of transfer departures. Um, you know, you mentioned wide so, receivers, but this that's true on both sides of the ball. And we'll we'll talk more about that in a moment. We could start with where do you want to start? Two, well, I think it is I think it is noteworthy to start with the wide receivers, Dijon Stripling and Donovan Ollie, because both of those guys hit the portal almost immediately after the regular season ended that's 94 catches and nearly 1100 yards between them and seems like a lot yeah and granted you know washington state is one of those teams that you know hasn't shied away from being a pass first team throughout the year you know in terms of like run rate over expected um you know the, <laughs> you know we talked about it i think before the championship game a week and a half ago with with regards to fresno state you know, uh, and maybe I'll bring it up again. Fresno State coming into this game has a rush rate over expected of of negative eight point one, which means they're basically throwing the ball eight percent more than you would expect in any given situation. So that's twentieth in the country at this point. Washington State, by that same measure, is second with a with okay. a rush rate over expected of negative thirteen point eight. Which is a long way of saying that, like when they when they let Cameron Ward throw the ball thirty nine times a game, there's probably a pretty good reason why, and a lot of that was because he had a lot of different guys to throw to. But you know, now Stribling is at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, Ollie, I think, is still waiting to see his you know his ultimate destination. You know, Renard Bell, another of their longtime veteran receivers, he's out for the rest of the season with injury. And so now you look at as far as like experienced hands that they've had and it's basically you know robert farrell and then a bunch of youngsters you know lincoln victor for you who you may recall was a former hawaii wide receiver you know a, a trio of freshmen leighton smithson sion nunnally orion peters you know some of the, some or all of those guys are going to have to step up and and then that and that's in addition to their star running back to nakia watson who maybe isn't quite as prolific out of the backfield as a pass catcher as, as like, let's say Max Borgie was a few years ago uh, when Mike Leach yeah. was running the air raid at Wazoo. But, you know, he saw a big workload increase down the stretch too. Like he had basically half of his catches on the year in the month of November. And so, you know, on paper, this would seem to be something that, that favors Fresno State where, you know, other than losing a couple of guys themselves on the secondary to the portal, you know, Kale Sanders Jr., who we talked about in our most recent podcast, uh, he officially landed at SMU today himself. 
but it would seem like the, the Bulldogs could have a substantial advantage just going up against a, a, a much less experienced wide receiver core. Now, all of a sudden, well, you got, some, got my awesome pick, Cam Locker. Is he still here on, right? He's not going that's away. right. I'm just saying, they let him out with some picks five, he pick six, two in the title game. Yeah. Um, or sorry, not two pick sixes, but two interceptions, I should say. So that'll be like him going up against, like you mentioned, lesser guys or just okay, talent. Honestly, could be exactly the same. It's the experience of being a college football player at this FBS level. So they may have yeah, great it's... guys who are two or three, but they just uh, what they're just not the guy. Their talent could be there because it's like Rose Bowl last year, Utah played or uh, stayed much different talent level. But Marvin Harrison Jr. never played, lit up Utah's defense. But also Utah had a running back playing safety or, or defensive back. But it could be guys yeah, who are I just mean... talented, just don't have the skill set quite yet. Yeah, I mean, I would say too, like you know, I I say on paper, it would like they, yeah. it would look like they would have an advantage, but you know, and I'll pose this to you, sort of rhetorically and sort of literally, have you seen some of the tape on Cameron Ward? A little bit, not a ton. He's not. Like, he didn't live up the hype. He, can, he, he can make plays. Like he, he, he wasn't can. he wasn't quite as explosive as he was at at UIW. And I think that's maybe one of the most curious things about the season, because on the one hand, he did get much better as the year progressed about taking care of the football, like in in four August games, for example, you know, 10 touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, I remember preseason Heisman hype, like a slowdown guys. (laughs) Well, okay. So uh, the only reason I would have disagreed at the time is that he was a Walter Payton Award finalist last year at the? Well, I mean, there's the hype there. I'm like, I wasn't, but I'm like, I wasn't saying he wouldn't be that good. But people are like he's a dark horse, which he would have been an extreme dark horse for the team he plays oh, yeah. for and making. That's why I'm not, I might say he's not a good player, but when people there was yeah. a lot, there's a little bit of buzz. Oh, you bring your coach over here, who, which we'll get to minutes. He's not on the move again to North Texas, but I'm just saying it would have been a big, it would have been kind of an improbable run to get to do what he did. If yeah, he were yeah. to be a high finalist for first Washington State, second, the FCS to FBS big jump, nobody's had that type of the closest guy to ever get closest when Steve McNair literally should have won the Heisman Alcorn State years and years ago, but he's even mm-hmm. playing at the FCS level. It's like there's guys who make that big of a leap typically aren't in that conversation. You have like Vernon Adams who tried years ago, um, some other guys too, but no, I'm not, I'm not putting him down by a stretch. I'm just saying that was there was some buzz behind him and he. It was it was a to me it was impossible for him to live up to, even though he still had a really good season. Yeah, I mean you might be right about that, and and he did improve in some respects. Like his his touchdown totally. to interception ratio in the first month of the year was two to one, you know ten TDs five INTs. Mm-hmm. In October it was seven to, seven to three seven TDs three interceptions. In November it was six and zero. Getting better, figuring things out. That's what that shows me. But. But his completion yes. rate went down by month by month as well. You know, in the first month of the year, went from so basically went from sixty nine percent to sixty two point four to sixty one point one. So like still good, settled but off, not yeah. necessarily what you might call elite. Well, and think of it maybe, too. Maybe. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, think of it too. Non conference, still the conference play, step up, stepping up a level. So something had to give. He. Okay, he wasn't completing as many passes, but also wasn't making as many mistakes. Like as yeah. for completion, interception wise. So, but I think you know most interestingly, and and I don't know what to make of it for this game in particular. His yards per attempt went down throughout the year as well. 
from 7.3 to 6.9 to 5.8. Hey, that's not good. Yeah. So, so by way of comparison, like, you know, I, I, I wrote this in, in my game preview that, you know, he, you know, he both ironically enough, both he and Jay Kaner were two of the seven quarterbacks down the stretch in November with zero interceptions on at least a hundred pass attempts. But at the same time, he had only seven plays of over 20 yards through the air. So they have not been quite as explosive as as Fresno State has been. Just for, for the sake of comparison, Jake Hayner had like 17 such plays in November. Yeah. But so, also, their head coach is a defensive coach, but then again, they brought in the incarnate word coach to BOC, and they kind of hoped they would do what Roll yeah. and Leach did years before. Yeah, so they haven't been quite as explosive, and I do think that's going to be one of the big challenges for this game is with so many new hands that are going to be taking on so many more reps, you know, which of those guys is going to be the one to step up and help Ward stretch the field? Because, you know, even with, you know, David Perales still kind of sort of on the mend, I know there was video of him out there today, uh, we're recording this on December 14th of him practicing, I believe, without a brace. So I would Positive take that base. to mean that that he will be um, probably much more available than he was in the title game uh, on you know, a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. But Ward is good enough to extend plays and and find the open man and and, and frustrate the defense that way. So I think there's going to be a lot of things that have to go right for Fresno State to sort of stay one step ahead of, of Ward in this Cougars offense. I think they can. With those losing those big guys, big receivers, it's going to be an area where it's going to Fresno State's defense is good, but not great. But they, but also they lose one of their best defenders as well. So, And then if, depending on what you mentioned, paralysis uh, availability, it'll be – it's almost not a wash, but it's, I'd still favor Fresno State for – a little bit because they still have Lockridge. They still have a couple other guys out there. It's just still going to be well, I think the, interesting how it, how it plays out with new players out there. It's like every bowl game we talk about is going to have this because I'm like, wait, who's playing? Who's not playing? Like the Nevada bowl game last year was a complete mess when Jay Norvell left. It was crazy who was not there. They're like, no coaches. Yeah, well, I think just as big of an issue for, for Washington State's offense is they're also dealing with some key injuries as well. And especially on the offensive line, you know, they have – you know, they had rather one of their offensive linemen, Jarrett Kingston, who I, if memory serves, he was either, I believe he was a first team or second team all conference type of player. And, you know, he was knocked out for the year in mid November and they've had a hard time replacing him, um, you know, in their rivalry game against Washington a couple weeks ago. Like they gave up six sacks in that game, you know, between him and Maake Fafita, you know, who, he hasn't been knocked out for the for this season, but he's definitely been slowed by injuries in the second half of the year. He's a key swing man who's started games at both guard and tackle for the Cougars. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that kind of late shuffling and and the elevation of young guys into the starting lineup, you know, guys like Christian Hillborn, Jack Wilson, guys like that. It's it's posed more of a challenge to to give Ward the time that he needs to make plays as well, and so I have to imagine. And that's that's part of the reason why the, the offense as a whole hasn't been quite as explosive. Like they've been sort of navigating it on uh, on the offensive line, 
and that's why I think like if Paralysis is back, that's going to cause a potentially big headache for Washington State. Definitely. So let's go to the other side of the ball because Washington State has their own defensive opt-outs like they, oh, uh, yeah. Dale and Henley. Dale excuse me. They, I thought I didn't, sorry. Diane Henley. Diane, so I was going to Dale. Like, no, it's not Dale. Stumbling here. Diane Henley. He's good. How would you feel about this? Your player, he's a middle linebacker, NFL prospect, not playing, just to, which I don't blame anybody if they want to play. It's not important technically for NFL prospects and everything. If you want to get that high traffic bonus contract, how would you feel if he was, because he's, he's going to be on the sideline assisting in whatever manner he's able to do? Would you want that guy there? Or would you be like, you're out yeah. of here? Like, how would you? I'm just saying, like, at a, a teammate point standpoint or coach, like, you're not playing. Are you really with us? I always find that kind of weird. I, I'm always conflicted. I'm like, well, yeah, he's on the team. I get why you're not playing there, but it'd be better if you're out there. Is there resentment? Is there a little this or that? Yeah, it's like, bu- dude, a business decision. Everybody everybody understands the game. The, the, the I know, game but within the game. You don't like it, though, do you? I'm just saying. I could be. I mean, I'm sure little, it's fine. I don't think anybody cares. Everybody's there for the same reason. I know. I'm just curious what your thoughts on it. I'm, I can see guys being a little miffed. I was like, dude, come on. And, but then again, it's like. I think it's probably what, fine. I'm saying it's fine, but I'm just you never know. There's I think the more the more interesting question is how do you feel? How do you feel if you're a Nevada fan? <laughs> exactly. Watching Henley thrive like that this year. I know. It's like, oh man. Or Solomon Bird or other guys or Zavon Holiday or different teams within the conference. Um, but also like I did we did a QA. You asked a question, so I'll go through a couple of these with um from kookfan.com 24-7 website. With the mostly obviously recruiting those guys, we I don't get his name right. Who? What's his name? Sorry, apologies. Uh, Barry Bolton chat us about it. a couple of guys out. So we mentioned Henley. That's uh, Francisco. How do you say it? Mayoga. Uh, Mayoga. Yeah. Mayoga. Okay. So he thinks he's the biggest departure because he broke out. Here's kind of what he said. Here's a little response to when you asked him the question. Um, he broke out season second year and with two other linebackers out for the bowl game, shorthanded enough, and so it's like Kyle Thornton could be there ben wilson special teams guys are moving in you have a freshman he mentioned hudson, hudson cedarland bright future played sparingly this year jordan lee like a safety who could be stepping in to make plays this this could end up being like honestly like a big jordan mims game if these linebackers are out yeah i mean you're you're talking about like and and i i, I think of pff grades as being sort of a catch-all but Yoga and henley were the second and third rated third highest graded rather linebackers in the entire pack 12 this year pretty good it's not bad and, and oh by the way the, you know travian brown also in the transfer portal oh so, that's right correct so that linebacker unit has been absolutely gutted and you're talking about like you know really productive guys like you know diane henley had you know, led the team with 12 tfls Yoga had five and a half brown had five you know, and, and they accounted for a not insignificant part of, of Washington State's pass rush, too. Like, they didn't, they don't have a paralysis type guy on their unit because as a team, they only had 29 sacks. Henley accounted for four, Mawioga had three and a half. You know, Trayvon Brown had one and a half. So it's, it's definitely something that the Cougars are going to be hard pressed to replace. And I think, you know, that's going to be another one of the biggest keys for this game is how much of a pass rush can they generate to take advantage of a Fresno State offensive line that themselves have been sort of up and down this year. Like we just saw it in the title game that they got off to a slow start in part 
because Boise State was able to get pressure on Hainer early in the game. And that's and so, offensive line issues for Fresno State. If those guys are out, give Hainer time. Oh boy, it's going to be a blowout potentially if if he gets all the time world to find proper to find all these guys out there who are catching the ball. It's like that could be a this could be like a lot more points for Fresno and not many for Washington State. Like yeah, maybe, but, pre- but at the same time, it, it could also be that, you know, Washington State is able to assert some of its own strengths on the front. Like they have, you know, despite the, the all of a sudden questions at linebacker, they've got a pretty good edge rushing trio that Bulldogs are going to have to contend with. You know, Brennan Jackson, team leader in sacks with five, with five. you know, him, Quinn Roth with three and a half, Ron Stone, another longtime veteran, had two sacks. Um, all three of those guys can get after it. You know, still like you know, you think Ron Stone only had a couple sacks, but he also had 14 quarterback hurries, which was far and away the most on the team. Pretty good. The big question, and I and I say whether or not they're able to take advantage of Fresno State's offensive line, because you know, while they have the talent to sort of you know, make a lot of hay if they can, you know, get the upper hand. It is sort of an open question because, you know, the Bulldogs at this point, you know, they're dealing with a, a sack rate of 6.8%, which is actually below average now in the country, 79th overall. As a team, the Cougars have a sack rate right around the national average, 6.3%, 63rd overall. But if you actually look at how it broke down on a game-by-game basis this year, you see that there's a big difference between when they played well and 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 when they weren't able to get to the quarterback as often. And it has everything to do with quality of competition. Because totally. they played because they played five games against fellow Pac-12 teams that were ranked this year. And in none of those games did they manage more than one sack. You know, by contrast, they had six against Idaho, seven against Colorado State, four against Arizona State. So the question for this game is, you know, while no one is going to confuse the Bulldogs with an Oregon, with a USC or anybody like that, how close are they to those strong Pac-12 teams in terms of their ability to protect Hainer? Because if if they're if they're like a seven out of ten, then it could be the kind of game that you know, Fresno State outlasts Washington State in a shootout of some sorts. And if it's not, it could end up looking a lot like last week's game. I let's flip another way. Like, okay. We mentioned the pass rush and stuff like that. What do you mean last week? You mean the Mountain's Tower game, correct? Last recent yes, couple yes. weeks ago? Okay. So look at the Pac 12. Like, what is I know Fresno played Oregon State, so there's a couple common opponents. Because when Washington State played Oregon State, it was a 24-10. Fresno was kicking stupidly kicking field goals in that game. Um, they didn't both they both played USC. Obviously, Jake Kaner left in that game and didn't they got beat out pretty bad. Washington State lost as well. When you look at the offenses the two have played, because of sick with the Hainer thing, like Oregon's offense, really good. USC's offense, obviously, really good. Utah's offense, well above average. Washington's offense good. They did not fare well. They lose. They lose all those games. All the games they played that have went up against a good offense, better offense than theirs, were losing. Like they beat Stanford. Okay, yes, Arizona State. Yes, Arizona. Arizona a little bit with Delorean there, but 
Wisconsin, whatever. They're just rock fight 17-14. They lost Washington State. They beat up on a bad Cal offense. Like my point being that when they play an offense that's above average, they're not they're not hanging around. They're not winning that game. And I feel that's going to be the same way here. Okay, so to your point, I will point out that in the seven games that they won, and this is sort of like shorthand for, for I think, what you're speaking to, seven touchdowns, nine interceptions in the seven games that they won, 6.9 yards per attempt. In the five games that they lost, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions, eight and a half yards per attempt. But I, I would be careful not to dismiss the Cougars secondary out of hand because True. while they will be moving some pieces around, like you mentioned Jordan Lee in, in passing a few minutes ago, you know, he started a handful of games at, at one of the safety positions this year. He's probably going to play more linebacker in this one. But yeah, that's what they mentioned. Wazoo does have a fair bit of talent on the back end. You know, Chow Smith Wade, you know, sophomore cornerback started all year long was a an all-conference caliber type player um you know two interceptions eight pass breakups if i remember correctly um you know sam langford longtime veteran back there um you know they have one of the nominees for the pac-12's freshman of the year in jalen hicks at the other safety position so they've got the guys to make hainer pay for a mistake if they can force him into it I do think it may end up being more of an even matchup than a lot of people might suspect. I mean, I think that both teams could give as well as they can get in this game. So what do you think is going to happen here? Like, what do the advanced numbers say? Okay. So, um, interestingly, all of the advanced numbers favor Washington State. Partly so because plus, remind people they don't include people not playing or injuries, and so yes. there's that to consider. Yeah, it, it yeah, it, it does not. Which is yeah, hard. It, it ha- <laughs> these systems have blind spots. You know, when you when you're measuring efficiency, you can't account for everything with a formula. So just to put that yeah. out there. Yeah. So with that in mind, SP Plus favors the Cougars by 65 percent win probability. Uh, FEI gives the Cougars uh, a 5.3 point margin over the Bulldogs. And uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter gives Washington State a 55.77% win probability projected margin. Very close, 30 to 28 for rounding off. Interesting. Uh and over under is it's it's moved wild wildly. It's now Fresno by three and a half, four points. Depends where you're at. I'm mm-hmm. going Fresno State. I think yeah. Like who's the best player in the in the field? Fresno. When you look at running quarterbacks, that's probably the cl- closer matchup. I believe Jay Kaner. I think he's proven longer. Um, receivers. I think Fresno better offense. Uh, defense with Washington losing Washington State. Excuse me, losing opt outs and portal guys. Also. Is there OC in this game? He's going to be the head coach of North Texas. Is, is Eric, what, uh, what's name, Eric Morris going to be coaching? Excuse me. Yeah, that's a good question. This game? That's, a, that's a good point there. Like, is he on his way out in Frisco? Because we'll talk about in a minute when North Texas plays Boise State. And he, so it's like he's on his way out to be head coach. Like, what's he going to be doing? I'm trying to see here real quick from Cook Center if they mentioned anything. But that's something this happened, I think, what, yesterday? 
on December 14th. Yes. That, yeah, last night. As we're recording here on Tuesday. Doesn't say what his status is, at least at the moment, but that's something to consider, consider as well. Like, what's his status for, for – I'm assuming would they be this close to the game and North Texas also having the game the same, the same day? Pretty sure he's going to finish the weekend out at the bowl game. Yeah, I haven't seen – I'm I'm doing sort of a cursory look. I haven't yeah, seen anything that says he wasn't going to – you know, finish the bowl game and then and then get to work at Denton. Yeah, I would assume with the game this week and they're both it's kind of finish out, I guess. But mm-hmm. my projection, Fresno State, I still think that Washington State will still put up some points. I did, uh, but I'm gonna go. I was thinking like both get in the 30s, but now getting more into what Washington State's losing, I think it's gonna be kind of a big win. I'm gonna go 38 23 Fresno State. I think it's going to be a fun game. I hope so. I think both quarterbacks are going to put on a show. I do think both teams are going to get to 30, but I do think that Fresno State is going to be able to outlast Washington State in this one. I have the Bulldogs winning 38 to 31. 30 to 31. I was thinking that same way too, but that makes sense. That's a good one. All right. So that right there is our Kimmel Bowl preview. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And now, you ready for the next game, Matt? Let's do it. All right, we're doing the intro here, so I'm just going to do I, – I blew it right – I already blew it right there, man. I could have just gone into it, but I'm just going to stop and say this is the re- – I'm going to do a radio reset because this is the Mountain West Wire Football Podcast, MWR.com. Next bowl game we're discussing, North Texas, Boise State, Frisco Bowl, Frisco, Texas, Toyota Stadium, 715 – or excuse me, Mountain Time, 815 Central. Broncos hosting a mean green. Broncos are a – holy crap, Matt. You see this 10.5-point favorite? Hmm. That's a lot of points. That is a lot of points. Um, you know why it's a lot of points? As I put in my one sentence preview for a rank and we ranked the bowl games, UNLV beat the crap out of them. I don't I don't have the score in front of me, but what was it? 58 27? Something like that. Does that sound correct? Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, Seth Luttrell, no longer the head coach at the mean green because he was let go after losing a conference title game in CUSA, finished with a 500 record overall, I believe 25 and 25. So it's also who cares about the bowl? That's always what I look at. Who's motivated? Who's going to care to be here? And as far as I can tell, it is more of a home game for North Texas because they're close to Frisco in that in that area. But I think Boise because Boise hasn't been hasn't really played a bowl game in what three four years because of COVID last year. They didn't go to the bowl game in 2020. Same similar reason COVID. They their bowl game was the first responders bowl in the lightning delay that got canceled versus BC. So it's been mm-hmm. what since 2018. Is that correct? It's been, it's been a little while. <laughs> yeah, past three years, no bowl game or canceled bowl game. So they're also back in, in Texas, which might not be a good sign because they played in the wherever the was it AMG Carter Stadium, I think it was TCU's home field. Yeah, I believe but, so. But they're back. We already mentioned the offensive coordinator that they brought into town because Dirk Cutter's gone to bring it in. 
their old man from oh, I forgot his name, man. I'm, I'm terrible. What's the new OC's name? We talked about like 20 minutes ago. That would um, be Bush Hamden. Bush Hamden. That's a great name, too. I, I can't, I was like, no, I was thinking this. No, but Bush Hamden, apologies. The QB coach from Missouri coming in. But North Texas, like, they're not a great team, Matt. I know they went to the conference USA title game, but it's like they expected more from Seth Luttrell from the offense. He was running around in college football, but they got blown out by a bad Memphis team, blown out by a UNLV team, not going bowling, got their butt kicked by a pretty good SMU team, lost close to a pretty good, really good UTSA team, UAB and then UTSA. So it's like, they've been, they're beating the likes of rice. And, and um, I will say their marquee wins, what Western Kentucky, where they shut them down to 13 points mm-hmm. and scored 40 of their own. So I think Boise wants to be in this game just because it's a, again, they haven't been there like in five years. It seems like it. At least, I know that's not right, but so what do we know about North Texas? Like, what do we get into? Cause they lose their head coach, which is a big deal. It's a big mood killer. It's not helpful. They're, they're not a favorite. They're a big time underdog. They do have a pretty solid quarterback. I think, I guess we could start there with Austin. Ooh, Austin Ani. Ani, I was okay, I didn't know. I didn't expect a four, a, a three vowel four four letter last name that pronounced every vowel that wasn't like a Polynesian name. That's typically how we do it. So, thirty two touchdowns, thirteen interceptions, completion rate eh, fine, not great, but he he's a guy that he's a the guy they pay attention to most with for this team is the Boise defense. That's no where kidding. I think it starts off. What what he can do, and what we've seen against Boise State. Um, I know they got good players like JL Skinner and other guys on defense and everything, what Broncos can do. But getting a guy where who has improved quite a bit from the past couple of years, completion percentage gotten better, touchdowns. He didn't play full year last year, it looks like, but not doesn't get sacked very often. Offensive line protects him well. So that could be a good challenge as well. But if he's given time to sit back there, that could be an issue because it's not like Jay Keener lit them up when Boise State played last week, but there were plays that were made against the Boise defense. And that's where I think this could be the most important area to slow down a guy who is um, a well above average quarterback. He was number eight in the country in passing touchdowns. 32. Yes. Yeah. All of that is true. But, but the, but the, but the reason, but the reason North Texas finished like what they were seven and six in the regular yes. season. Yes. Conference sir. championship appearance. They were a wildly uneven team this year. And yeah. And perhaps not coincidentally, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Ani was a very mercurial quarterback. Like when he was on, he was probably one of the best quarterbacks in the group of five. In the seven games that UNT won this year, 62.8% completion rate, nearly 10 yards an attempt, 9.8 yards per (laughs) attempt, uh, 22 touchdowns, four interceptions. Like that's awesome. I will in the also six add, games that they lost, uh, though. Continue. Go ahead. In the six games that they lost, fifty-one point three percent completion rate, seven point seven yards per attempt, ten touchdowns, and maybe most importantly, nine interceptions. Mm-hmm. Like you, you look it. at you look at some of the some of the roughest performances that the UNT had this year. You mentioned the UNLV game. Like, yeah, he threw for over 300 yards and, and over 10 yards in attempt in that game, but he also had two interceptions. You know, same thing against Memphis. He had 371 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. 
when they lost his SMU by 38 points, no touchdowns, two interceptions. He had one, two, three, four, five different games this year, including the conference championship games where he threw multiple picks. And, and, and oh, by he, the way, like he had like oh. he had three games where his completion rate was above 70%, but he also had four games where four. it was under 50. That's where I was getting at there. 450. That's that exact number. It's like he when he's on, he's he's good. Like in the conference title game, 14, 29, 194, TD, two picks, 48 completion rate, but also had a 51 yard bomb. So and also that nice. is the very definition of all gas and no breaks. <laughs> exactly. It's oh man. So if Boise can get him to be just, I don't know, you, it's going to be a mystery, but bag what he could be. And, but also look at the defense Boise's putting out there. Like SMU has no defense. Like they, they, even though they held him to 10 points, nobody covered to has a really good defense. I mean, UAB is a pretty good team, obviously, but Rice, they, they beat Rice, but only was held to 20, 17 points or a lot of 21, I should say. But the defense they're playing here, it's like probably the best they've seen all year. JL Skinner might be, might be the best defender they've seen all year up there. So it's going to be up to him to make smart plays and smart decisions to kind of uh, where can you well, exploit I mean, I, the I, Boise I, defense. I mean, he'll I make plays. I threw, I, I threw Ani out there as sort of like a microcosm, but it, honestly, he's not the only one that really sort of encapsulates that. So like, just as another example, UNT was second in conference USA in, in rushing yards per carry, you know, only UAB was better mm-hmm. 5.29 yards per carry. That's pretty good. That is and good. just as, as a way of comparison, Boise state for as good as they were down the stretch running the football for the year, they only averaged 4.85 yards per carry. But again, if you look closer at the splits between the games that the Mean Green won and those that they lost, in the seven wins, they were over six yards a carry. In the six losses, they were under four. They can protect the quarterback. Which is good. They can run the football pretty well. The yep, big question is... 500 yards. I mean, the big question is, like, which North Texas offense is going to show up? Because if it's the one that's mistake-prone, then Boise State should be able to win this one pretty easily. But if they show up and they're focused, ready to make a good you know, presentation or good first impression for the new head coach, it could be a much tougher game than a lot of Broncos fans might realize. But you're, you're not going to know until the ball is kicked and, and both teams are on the field, I think. It's because it's interesting. Like, he has big boomer buzz, like you mentioned. They are... Averaging 15.4 yards per catch receiving group. Mm-hmm. We haven't mentioned Jared Shorter, who has 10 touchdowns, averages 27 yards per catch, Matt. 27. <clears throat> he does have, old, like, air quote, only 22 catches, so he catches like two a game. But that means he's basically getting 55, 57 yards every game on two catches. Yeah. They have also, like, Jam- what's his name? Jamari Macklin, 23 yards per catch at 16. So they have guys who are. Deep threats like the leading receiver, Roderick, Roderick Burns, 17 and a half yards per catch, one with touchdown. But they have their tight end, their gums, there. He has five TDs. Like they have guys where their offense, when it's good, it can be good. But like, like we mentioned, the inconsistency is also obviously why the trail is no longer there. Because if they were with this talent and what they have, this team could put up a good fight and win this game. I wouldn't, I'm not, even though Boise is a huge 10 and a half point favorite, that's gigantic in my opinion. 
but yeah, a lot of factors. Okay, new coach or coach not there, I guess. Moving guys up, you have an in- inconsistent quarterback play, but yeah, could Boise State win by twenty two points? Maybe, but this game's gonna have a lot going on where. I think it's a lot more intriguing than we think because I think the potential, like you mentioned, all gastro breaks, boomer bust. This game's either going to be a close, close-ish game, or it's going to be a Boise State blowout. And and you know the funny thing is like you know the same thing is true on defense. Like it has been wildly inconsistent. The, the, but the problem is a little bit different there in that the Mean Green have some like awesome individual players but as a unit it is much more of a uh of a thrill ride than than fans might want it to be you know like for example just going back to yards per play for just a minute you know they were above six yards per play allowed in conference usa um, which was eighth overall in that conference if you just look at you know available yards percentage on both sides of the ball for instance um on offense, North Texas was a top 50 team. On defense, they ranked 112th. They give up 54.3 yard percent of yards per drive. That could be a problem, despite the fact that one, they had the defensive player of the year in Conference USA and Katie Davis, who uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what his numbers were. I'm, I'm losing track of my tabs. I got so many of them open. <laughs> but like, yeah, you know, but he was a guy who you know, was, you know, we knew coming into the year, he was going to be awesome, you know, almost left through the transfer portal, came back 132 tackles, three TFLs, one sack, one interception. Like he's going to be everywhere on that field, no matter what, you know, same with a guy like your rich Tejada first team, all conference type of guy. Um, you know, North Texas has individual players who can make plays. You know, Tahada, for instance, had 15 pass breakups this year, in addition to three set three interceptions, including an uh, a pick six. It's just, you know, how well are they going to perform as a unit? Especially when it comes to defending the run. I think that was maybe their biggest problem as a whole. You know, it, it's just I I think that's going to be the bigger problem for the UNT in this game is we know what Boise State's probably going to want to do. They're going to want to be balanced, but I think they're going to, they're not going to be shy about leading with guys like Ashton Genty, George Halani, and maybe letting Taylor Green call his own number a handful of times. Mm-hmm. And that's really been a, a point of emphasis, I'm sure, when North Texas has struggled. Because again, I'm just going to go back to the splits one more time. Do it. Seven, seven wins, four yards per carry allowed, six touchdowns, six losses, 5.24, and 17 touchdowns. Hmm. There, There's just enough unpredictability about North Texas that it's hard to know exactly how the game is going to show. Because if they play at their peak, they're going to give Boise State all they can handle. And if they don't, then Boise State could win this one on a walk. And both things are are definitely plausible. We haven't even mentioned George Helani yet. Well, I mean, I mentioned him, I mentioned him briefly oh, just a second ago. Just saying, but it hits a... Uh... I just think there's... 
so much. I know Boise didn't win their game, but their second half was so much better with Dirk Cutter. I guess second, I guess last two thirds. Mm-hmm. I just think there's so much go- going on where just the Latrell thing, there's just more, something else is going on, more inconsistency, more of this. There probably, probably or definitely should be more mean green fans there just because their proximity to Denton to Frisco is not much. Mm-hmm. Obviously, relatively to Boise to Frisco, but that'll be an issue. But they're just so up and down, and like the, there's Boise's just they're gonna. I'm predicting just a runaway victory for the Broncos. I don't think this will be close. This might be over at halftime. I mean, the I only way it's, it, the only way it's not it is that Boise results to field goals, just kicking the ball instead. It really is going to come down to how well they can keep Ani in check. I think in particular, yeah, because. I think one way or another, he's going to get his explosive plays. You know, I believe among Conference USA quarterbacks, only Austin Reed out there at Western Kentucky had more 20-yard pass plays this year than Ani did. He had 54 in their 13 games. And mm-hmm. unlike a lot of the other splits that I, that I mentioned as far as like, you know, throwing interceptions and wins and losses and things like that. Yeah. Regardless of whether the team won or lost, he got his in terms of creating chunk plays. And so I think that is probably to be expected that one way or another, Ani is going to be able to generate explosive plays. The trick is going to be whether Boise State can create turnovers or not in the same way that they sort of struggled to do in, in at least in last week's conference championship game. If they can get back to doing that, they can play disciplined then they should have the pieces on that side of the ball to sort of keep North Texas at arm's length. Yeah. So what do the advanced numbers say? Because I think it's uh yeah, what do you got for those, I guess? All right. So SP plus likes the Broncos projected margin of 6.9 points. That's a 65% win probability. FEI also likes Boise state by 9.7 and uh, Parker Fleming at stats. O war on Twitter his advanced stats preview gives the Broncos a 76, excuse me, 72.76% win probability, projected margin of about 31 to 23. What do you think is going to happen? I do think Boise State's going to have to work for this one a little bit. I do think in the end it'll be a relatively comfortable victory. I'm going to say 34 to 24 Broncos win. And I'm going I'm going 38-12. 38-13, I'll make it easy. 38-13 for Boise State. All right, then. I just don't think it'll be close at all. All right. You're listening to Mountain Square Podcast, MWR.com. Bowl season, bowl previews we're doing. We're doing all the first couple. I say all, Matt. The first couple bowl games here. Our next bowl game, as we spread these out, is at the Frigid Idaho Potato Bowl. At least it's not a night game, Matt. It's 1.30 local time on ESPN. Eastern Michigan taking on San Jose State. Uh, they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, referring to the Spartans there. Over-under is 54-and-a-half. So expect a reasonable amount of points for an Eastern Michigan team that is four in the year. And if I'm correct, Eastern Michigan is not typically a team that goes bowling. Is that correct, Matt? So, no. that is that That would be correct. And, you know, and I bad. think so. So there's the thing. Like you know, you may recall 
I think it might have been like five or six years ago now where they played a couple of games against Wyoming. And yeah. I think it was a home and home against the Cowboys, if I remember correctly. And that, I believe, if I remember, if memory serves, was at the very beginning of the Chris Creighton era up in Ypsilanti. That dude is a miracle worker. Definitely. Because you're at the moment, and it, and it may not sound like much, but the Eagles oh, are in the midst of their maybe the best stretch in the program's history. Oh, not maybe. You know, They've been to one, two, three, four, five bowl games in seven years. And 2020, they had losing records. So we will include that. Five and seven they're years. Still, they're still looking for their first bowl win since 1987. But you're right. Correct. And since that, yeah, and that California bowl win, 1987 until 2016, was it 30 years? Something like that. Long time. Yeah. Bowl they hadn't even, until this year. EMU had not even had back-to-back winning seasons since they had three straight from 86 to 88. Yikes. Like, they and were in the, the most... abyss for a long time. Chris Creighton might legitimately be one of the best football coaches in America. He's been the Mac for a decade almost. Yeah, they haven't, this is their most win since that California year when they went 10-2. And, and that 10-2 team year, they weren't even ranked. A shame. And the, and the, and the real irony behind like you know them being as, as successful as they were this year is they white knuckled a lot if you look at their actual results <laughs> um yeah. you know they they won by eight against eastern kentucky they won by seven against umass and they needed a big fourth down stop to do that um by four against ball state on the road by six against akron on the road by seven against kent state on the road and you got to give them credit for like making that balancing act work they beat both of their in-state rivals pretty convincingly they you know they and they were not that far away from being in the mac championship game i think they you know they lost the tiebreaker to toledo and and that was a three-point loss as well so like you know on the year they're an interesting team in that you know they come into this matchup with San Jose State, and their 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 net points per drive is almost exactly zero. Okay. And and the real interesting thing about that is like it's it's point zero one, so it's like right at even. Uh, but what's interesting is the split between offense and defense because on offense they're a top fifty unit. You know, they've averaged 2.52 yards, or excuse me, points per drive. That's 48th in the country. On defense, however, they're 98th. Hold on. I just found 2. something, Matt. 2.5. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Do you know who their last opponent was in their, in the California Bowl game? It was Fresno State. No, San Jose State. Oh, San Jose State. Oh, that's yes. right. What was I, I thinking? Like I must have been thinking of a different California Bowl. I was looking at, at Hustle Belt and like, I'm like, wait, really? Sorry to interrupt. I'm like, I'm... See, that's all my awesome research I do before the show or during the show, but that's okay. That's quite interesting. So they play, we'll get to it. So sorry, continue with their offensive. Uh, also, I like to add, they seem to be the Minnesota Vikings of the Mac, just saying, with all those close victories. Yeah. So it's been like, it's been an adventure, but they that they have made it work to their credit. And so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, which, you know, Eastern Michigan's team are you going to get in this game? But I do think a lot of it comes down to their stars on the defensive side of the ball in particular. I do think that's one thing that both sides have in common is, is talent up front, especially. 
you know, we we already knew, for example, that San Jose State has the defensive player of the year, uh, Viliami Fajoko. But you know what? But you know what? So does Eastern Michigan. They had the max player of the year in Jose Ramirez, who was pretty, you know, was pretty awesome. Um, you know, t- 12 sacks. I believe he had, in terms of like tackles per loss per game, second in the country, 1.8 TFLs per game. You know, he had games just like Pahoko did where he took over. He had four sacks against Western Michigan. Like he has been an all-conference type player for a couple of years. He's been named to at least one All-American team that I can remember off the top of my head. Awesome. And so I do think that for, for a San Jose State team that, especially on offense in the second half of the year, has been a little bit up and down. I think stopping him first and foremost is going to be very high on their list of priorities. Has to be. And I and I think that that's especially true because you know the Eagles don't really have much pass rush outside of him. Like I mentioned, he has 12 sacks. The team has 23. So he has more than half the team's sacks himself. And that's for a unit that has a team sack rate of only 5.5%, 88th in the country. So where that has been a place that San Jose State has struggled off and on, their ability to protect the quarterback, and the Spartans come into this game with a sack rate allowed, that's 115th, 9.3%. It's going to be a really good test for this young offensive line that the Spartans have. I would imagine that Ramirez... And they in, in San Jose State's left tackle, Fernando Carmona. Whoever wins that matchup is going to have a large part in dictating how this game goes. Yeah. And also, uh, how many times did I say, Matt, Kyrie Robinson? Can he yeah. have success against that defense? Because that will be, it's almost like comical. That's the biggest thing every week when he plays well. Spartans, obviously, it's so dumb to say, Matt, because anytime a player plays well, you sh- your team should do well, maybe win. But him being mm-hmm. such an important position, when he steps out, steps up and plays a good game, he's a player that they need him to get. Like, I don't think it's unfair to ask for 75 rushing yards. When, but when he stumbles to 38 on 12 carries or 46 on nine carries or whatever, mm-hmm. they're not going to do all that. They need, and this will be a test. Can he step up and play against that defense and make some plays? We know they, we haven't really mentioned Elijah Cook, Shaman Cordero. We all know these guys. That's what we're leaning more toward. Discussing the opponents because they're unfamiliar, and we know what our what the offense for these teams within the Mountain West can bring and mm-hmm. go forward. So this will be a solid test defensively. I mean, excuse me, offensively against the Eastern Michigan defense that, like, they've had a lot of close calls. And so as far as I remember, the Portland State game, like, oh, that's back in week zero, week one, where they had to sneak out like a end of game for I think for third or fourth down. I think it was a fourth down play to get that go ahead score. But mm-hmm. like they've had close games, Auburn, like Fresno, close losses right there. The Utah State close losses, so they're close one over Nevada. But both these teams have been in a similar situation, so they're they're kind of always. That's why this game probably be pretty close. That's why it's only three and a half points, and the way they style of play, or at least the result, I should say, led to it being like maybe with. I think this game will be within a touchdown either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be, but and it and I do or, think a lot of it is, 
Well, no, I was going to say, you know, a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on on Eastern Michigan's quarterback, Taylor Powell, who's been banged up at least a little bit this year. You know, the, the, the Eagles have had a little bit of timeshare by necessity, but between Powell and his primary backup sophomore, Austin Smith, they have been solid, if not necessarily spectacular. Like Powell in particular, 65% completion rate. Two to one I, a touchdown to INT ratio, 14 to seven, 7.6 yards per attempt. So, like, he's been pretty decent. Like, he, he's not going to be the kind of guy that blows you away. Like, he doesn't, he has, you know, two 300 yard games, but he's only averaged, I think, over eight yards per throw two or three times this year. But what he does, or rather, what he has done better down the stretch is take care of the football. Like, he only has two interceptions in the team's, excuse me, in his, rather last five appearances but that's stressed out over seven weeks because he missed two games against ball state and akron as well and so i i have to imagine that that sort of accounts for why the eagles have been sort of all over the map this year you know austin smith had to step in and and lead the eagles to those victories over ball state and akron that i mentioned and they had to sort of white knuckle it because like, he's still definitely learning on the job. Like in those two games in particular, you know, six point or four point win, six point win, but Smith's completion rate was under 60%. His yards per attempt were right around like six, six and a half yards per, per attempt. I do think, you know, if Fahoko, if Cade Hall can get pressure on Powell in particular, I could see that being sort of an avenue for both teams to be able to keep this a lower score game than you might expect. You know, like if you didn't know anything about Eastern Michigan, you might think that San Jose State is going to be able to pitch and throw the ball all over the field. That might not be the case for either side, though, especially if both defensive lines can have their way. Well, that can make sense. Like with Fahoka, like look, just look at the defense we know with Kate Hall. Foco and guys they have on the Spartans team. And yeah. and look at the scoring that they've had, like Eastern Michigan. He's they're not a high profile team, but they scored just enough. But it'll be I this might be and this is gonna be a more evenly matched game. I do I do I am leaning Spartans in this particular one, but I think it's the way the two teams play, their they their tendencies are to keep it close. Well, that's mm-hmm. mostly not great if you're a team that's like, oh god, oh I got some uh, health issues, heart issues. I, I need to, guys, Spartans, just score some points. Don't quit kicking field goals, pull away the game. Or Eastern Michigan fans, the same thing with the Eagles. I there's been like looking at the victories for Eastern Michigan again, really quick. They've had one vic, two victories. It looks like if I'm correct, that were more than double digits. That's it. They're all close games, like you mentioned. Western Michigan, mm-hmm. 45-23, the rivals, and then 38-19. So I oof, man. What so what do the advanced numbers say? Because I think this game is going to be tight. Well, I, I, I want to add one last thing before we okay. get to the to the because I think the other thing is too that the Eastern Michigan may may have the advantage on. You know, we, we talk about Kyrie Robinson. EMU might have a at least a slightly more reliable option at running back themselves than Samson Evans. You know, okay. thousand yard rusher. He was only, I believe, one of four MAC running backs to reach that plateau this year. Thirteen touchdowns. He was a second team All Conference type of guy. 
and he was the kind of player who could put the team on on his back and 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 lead the way like I think most notably he had 36 carries in their September win over Arizona State 258 yards and a touchdown and that was one of four games where he had over 100 yards and and granted you know the old axiom that I like to remind people of is like you don't run when you you don't win when you run you run when you win exactly and it's probably not coincidental that the four games where he had over 100 yards this year are all EMU victories that makes total sense. So it's an Eastern Michigan team that's that's going to take care of the football. They're they're not going to beat themselves a lot, and so if San Jose State can can avoid doing the same thing, it's definitely going to be a tight contest one way or the other. That's what I'm thinking here. So all right, let's go. What are they? Made? What does like SP Plus and all those guys that like to say for this one? All right, so SP Plus like San Jose State, maybe not by as much as you would expect. Uh, projected margin of 2.8 points. Uh, that's a 57% win probability. Uh, FEI also likes San Jose State by a 9.8. And Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Spartans a 61.63% win probability. Projected margin of about 32 to 28. I'm going to say... I'm gonna lean Fresno. Like we're leaning every Mountain West team, which is gonna come bite us in the butt, right? If we pick every Mountain West team in the bowl game, bowl season. Well, you said Fresno. I'm assuming you mean Fresno, San Jose State. Right? Oh, apologize. Sorry, we're doing all the games. Sorry, San Jose State. I mean, we're picking all the Mountain West teams. I'm gonna go 31 28, um, San Jose State. Game winning field goal to boot as well. I'll go that. I'll even go one step further. I don't know how much I trust San Jose State. It's hard sometimes. They've they've been a little less effective on offense, not by much, but slightly less effective on offense down the stretch. I think I'm going to take Eastern Michigan in a close one. Because I think if it comes down to who's going to make fewer mistakes... I would I think I would I would hedge my bets a little bit. So I'm gonna take Eastern Michigan to win. I'm gonna say 28 to 24. Okay. 28 to 24. All right. So this is the first slate of bowl games we're doing for the Mountain West. We did the first few games here. MWR.com. We got all the previews. We've got some QA's coming out. We'll have some odds, picks, all that type of fun stuff. We'll be back. Um, I'll just say this because me and Matt still need to discuss, but we'll be back. Next time, here's our will promise, Matt. We'll be back Sunday to recap slash preview some games. So stay tuned to our Twitter account, MWC Wire podcast feed, wherever you find the podcast. Just kind of listen and download and subscribe there, and MWR.com to find all the stuff we do. And we'll be back in a couple of days to just continue wrapping up the uh, postseason here.